welcome to the Let's Talk Autism podcast. I'm Michelle Davy. That was Christelle trying to jump in and take my, <laughs> my lead spot. How dare you, Christelle? Here's my co-host. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Let's Talk Autism. And here's your host. It's Christelle. <laughs> and here's my co-host. It's... My name is Michelle Davy. Right, listen, I don't like it. So she just tried to... She just tried to jump. Into sorry, my... sorry, guys. I just had to do that because I know that drives me shot up the wall. That's a little bit of change. You're like, no, no. I'm containing the rage. I'm containing the rage. Right, Christelle. Today, right, yes, yes. Today, we've got... do you like I'm really swiftly moving. Today, on, I'm not making today, eye contact with you because you've today really got... got on my nerves, woman. You guest alert, guys. Don't worry about. <laughs> I'll just put myself on mute. Shall I? All right, then. Bye. Should <laughs> to edit me out of this episode. <laughs> you can edit it out. I'm just going to record it myself and just be like, yeah, Christelle, where's here? But she's just <laughs> in the background. Okay, okay. Look, I'm being professional. Let's do it properly. Okay, go on, go on, Mish. Go on. Right, okay. So today we have got new guest, Zoe, mm-hmm. coming on to speak to us. Zoe. Ah. Oh, amazing. I know. So last week we put the right. episode out there. We did. Did you like the unique name that I gave you? <laughs> so fantastic. She said she would never do. Do you remember, <laughs> Christelle? Yeah. Was, I always remember the first time that we didn't have a guest <laughs> on the show. For some reason, someone cancelled it last minute. We didn't want to not do an episode that week. And she was like, why did you do, why did you do that That title of that? She remember, it was just the episode without a guest. <laughs> but I was like, can, can you try and pretend like it was something else? No? <laughs> that was a very good episode. But um, Awesome. Yeah, I got some really good messages from that, Chris. It's good. Yeah, I saw it as well, yeah. Yeah, no, it was good. I you did good. well. Got- you did well, kid. I felt so nervous putting that out there. I was very nearly not going to put that out there, but um, no. I'm glad I did. So thank you. Well for done. Well the, done. The overwhelming support. Thank you for the love and support. Yeah, for me, not Christelle. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, the guest today, another American, which is lovely. So yeah, we, we love to travel. National, global. We are going to Pennsylvania. We're going to a beaver. Um, we're not. Um, but yeah, so we're going to Pennsylvania. We are going to speak to Zoe right now. She's a therapist, but not just any old therapist. Mm. She is an autistic therapist. So she herself is an autistic woman, and she's going to tell us all about her journey and why she has become a therapist. Okay, let's do it. Let me get my passport. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Autism podcast. I'm Michelle Davey and this is my co-host. Yeah, hi everyone. It's Christelle here. Hello, Christelle. Exciting news. Hello. We've got a new guest. Where's my new guest new alert? New guest alert. Yeah, where's the music, And We have got Zoe Derazdi. Did I say that right? You did, yeah. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Zoe. <laughs> we have Zoe all the way from Pennsylvania. Oh my gosh. Hello. We're we all with 2023 is the year the Americans are coming in <laughs> to the Let's Talk Autism podcast, and we're all over this. So hello and welcome, Zoe. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Zoe, we are really, really excited to hear all about your journey. You are an autistic woman. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about your journey, about your diagnosis, about growing up, and floor is yours. Sure, yeah. So I am, I like to reverse engineer sometimes. Uh, so I said, I guess I say right now, I am 
a autistic woman and a therapist who specializes in working with neurodivergent people. So I do like counseling and coaching of folks who are like autistic, have ADHD and stuff. And the way that I really got into this is that like, so my entire life, I was like, hmm, it seems as if I have a series of traits that are considered very abnormal to other people. And I attribute this to my moral deficits. Uh, So like, for example, I remember being in school and really struggling to like read social cues and being called weird a lot, getting really upset when there were loud noises or there were unexpected things in the schedule or stuff like that. And it was always just kind of stated that I was, um, you know, like the teachers and some of the other kids and stuff. And just the adults I interacted with seemed to think that I was like really bratty and that I was like attention seeking, Uh, which is funny because a fundamental thing all children need is attention. Yeah. Yeah. And what about your parents? So at this point you haven't received any sort of diagnosis, but so Mm -hmm. when you were younger, did your parents notice anything? Yeah, I, um, so I'm from North Eastern Pennsylvania. And so our big civilization is Scranton, right? And so my dad and mom, they would take me to the, the Steamtown Mall when I was little. If you watch the show, The Office, you'll know the Steamtown Mall in Scranton. Um, uh, anyway, so that mall had some tiles that were very much not in an appropriate order, in my opinion. And I remember being very little and just like walking so weird because I was trying to like put my align the tiles perfectly and never looking up, I would wander away or walk into a person. And my parents did not know what to make of that. Um, They uh, they thought it was unsafe because it was. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there just was not an understanding in this very low income part of Pennsylvania very working class area in the 90s, in the 2000s, that a little girl who, you know, was hyperverbal, who had a a massive vocabulary, who could read from a young age, who made a lot of eye contact and was very gregarious, that this could be an autistic person. Autistic people were little boys who couldn't, little white boys who couldn't speak. That's who was autistic no understanding at all that, you know, some of my stuff might have been because of autism, but I was very fortunate also to have parents that, um, so I was their only child and my mom was like a stay at home mom. And I think that, you know, she was very able to be super responsive to my needs. And, um, before she had children, she, you know, she has a master's in, um, Oh gosh, like early childhood literacy and stuff. So she she like has worked with kids her whole life. So she really, you know, believes strongly in structure, you know, things being organized. And so basically, inadvertently, I had a life that was set up for an autistic child to thrive. <laughs> right? Quiet house, <laughs> responsive parents, everything's organized, everything's consistent. Um, and it was when I went to school that there were problems. And those problems were called other kids. <laughs> That's when we started having some issues. <laughs> so what age did you get to? And you was like, actually, I, I, I want, want to know. Like, or mm-hmm. uh, were you diagnosed or have you kind of? Yeah, I was, I was going to say, how, how were you diagnosed? How did they get to the 
bottom of it eventually. So I was 19 and I had gone off to college. Actually, on my 18th birthday, I left my parents' house and I moved to Philadelphia, which is like the big city for us. It was about three, three and a half hours away. And um, just having like a really hard time academically always on it. In high school, I got some detentions. I got in trouble sometimes. I wasn't. We can, we can familiarize with that. Yeah. Yeah. And those detentions were always for things like I have my own unique way of styling, which, which is kind of like dressing like a a woman from the 1800s, like a widow from the 1800s. Um, And it's breaking dress code. And I refuse to give in because this is my values and I'm, I'm rigid on my values or like, you know, a teacher said something that I thought was transphobic. And so now I'm going to fight the teacher and I have very poor understanding of why that wouldn't be appropriate. Right. So this is, this is like the sticking points. Um, But when I went to college, it's like, okay, I'm doing great academically. I'm doing great as far as being able to like function in this higher level of freedom but I am really spinning my wheels when it comes to cohabitating with other people, like having roommates and having relationships. And I got to the point where uh, like my stem is playing with my hair, but I was basically ripping my hair out in chunks because I was so overwhelmed. So then I went to counseling and I had this counselor who I didn't particularly like or click with. And one day she casually mentioned to me that I was autistic. And I said, do tell Linda, uh, <laughs> where'd we come up with that? Um, and that's when she just sort of explained it to me. Um, and I wound up not really seeing her very much for counseling, but that's how I came into an understanding of myself and, and got my diagnosis. Since you had that diagnosis and you, mm-hmm. you know, you completed that stage of your journey in some aspects, what happened next? Like, how did your life change? How did it change or did you think, oh, this is, is it an acceptance? I, how did that feel at that point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it made a lot of sense to me because when I was in my teens, I worked for this camp that um, was for uh, autistic children, and I felt like a really great kinship with them. And I was like, you know, I kind of want to do something with the autistic community, but I didn't like, they had like some ABA workers and stuff who would come to the camp. And I didn't like that approach. I didn't like the behaviorist approach. And so I really was like, I don't know what I want to do then because I want to work with autistic people, but they're, they're telling me this is the only way you can. Yeah, right. So with, with um, ABA therapy, obviously is huge, huge controversy. Like from your point of view, observing that in these mm-hmm. camps, like mm-hmm. what's your view on that there you know I kind of always intuitively understood like okay so this kid's gonna freak out in like two to three minutes because there's this sensory input this sensory input da da da, and I know this because I'm experiencing it so I know that he's experiencing it but because he's five and he's more sensitive than me right so I would be able to kind of gauge these things and I would feel very upset on behalf of the child when those meltdowns were treated as behavioral, like poor behavior, right? Misbehavior. I didn't like planned ignoring, which is where if you, there's a behavior that you want the child to stop doing, you ignore that behavior. 
Mm-hmm. Um, because I was like, you know, this kid is doing this behavior because they need help calming down and ignoring mm-hmm. them feels really brutal. Um, mm-hmm. and also doesn't always work. I hated the, the snapping the fingers in the face, the forced eye contact, the saying mm-hmm. the kid's name over and over and over and the, you know, um, I hated the edible reinforcer stuff. Like, okay, if you, if you say your own name and you repeat these random social niceties, I'll give you a cookie. It felt a lot like dog training and it felt meaningless. I think that was the most profound part is like, I always felt like, okay, like this person has things they need help with. But the stuff you think they need help with is becoming more palatable to other people. Yeah. And, and that's what fit you're... to fit a box. But yeah. Mm. I, want, I just wanted to ask more about ABA therapy because some people don't know too much about it. So I know you mentioned just a little bit of the things that they did, but could you dive more into that just a little bit? And especially, sure. you know, as well, Zoe, now that you are a therapist, have you had people come to you with the effects of ABA therapy? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So ABA started off as something very brutal. It's since been, you know, it's, it's a behavioral approach to learning skills, essentially. So you can use it in something like sports therapy to get someone to be better at playing basketball or it's not like an inherently evil thing it's when it's overlapped with anti-autistic bias that we start seeing atrocities um the man who created it also created gay conversion therapy on the same premise and that premise is that if you behaviorally force someone to stop acting gay or stop acting autistic that they will become non-autistic or non-gay internally And uh, so, you know, it started off with like very bad physical punishments and pretty brutal stuff. There's since been like ethical movements, you know, and also just laws saying that you can't beat kids. So that's good. You know, a lot of the people who come to me now are people who under, you know, they're in their 20s, um, some of the, yeah, 20s, early 30s, late teens, whatever. So they, they had ABA in like the 2000s. And uh, things I'm noticing are feeling like your actual emotions are unacceptable because when you did things like cried and had meltdowns because you were so upset, instead of people saying, well, what's making you so upset? What can I do to help you feel better? People were saying things like, I'm going to ignore you until you cut this out. Or, um, you know, this isn't logical behavior, you need to stop. Or, you know, giving punishments, taking things away from you. And that's absolutely not how any behavioral tactic should ever be used. But also just people who are not able to name their own feelings because they've had to suppress their own feelings for so long that they just can't, they don't even know what they're experiencing. A lot of people who just feel inherently wrong or like very embarrassed to be autistic because they feel like they were in essentially anti-autistic behavior training as a child. And so for years, they were in sometimes 40 hours a week of this intensive training with this person. It was like a full-time job on a four-year-old. And 
now to be an adult and to feel like you failed because you're still autistic, you still have problems, problems. And now also like to see that there are other autistic people who are like really proud to be autistic and like that there's a larger community that finds strength in this. It's like very, there's grief. It's like, what was I doing for so many years? But also you can't just throw that away, right? Like you can't just, if you've had however many decades of your life being told that your autism is embarrassing, you can't just stop being embarrassed of it. it it's not like a light switch. So that's the type of stuff that I work with people on um, every day. And it really like, part of why I do my advocacy work is I'm like, I don't want people to have to like come to me for this. <laughs> this generation of kids right now, I don't want them to have these problems when they're in their 20s and and yeah. Yeah, do you find that people are more receptive to you once they find out that you're autistic because they just feel like I can definitely speak to her, she knows where I'm coming from. Mhm. Yeah, I think that a lot of um autistic people feel like safer with me and knowing that I'm autistic. Um and you know, they, that's part of like, that's why when I started my private practice, uh, in my marketing, I was like, I want to be clear that I am autistic because why I started this business is that neurodivergent people think differently. And a lot of times neurotypical, um, counselors just don't get it. And I want people to know that I obviously, every neurodivergent person is different. There are many intersecting identities that I don't have that I, you know, and I can't understand how autism shows up exactly in everybody's life, but I just have like a, a, an appreciation for the autistic brain that other counselors might not. Um, but then it works in sometimes the opposite direction with um, neurotypical people where I will come in and I'm like, yes, I I'm, you know, this person, I have this business, I'm educated in this way, et cetera. And they're like, oh yes, respectable, respectable person, you know? And I, I can look sort of like what they're expecting me to look like. Um, and that even goes down to things of class and race and all those many things that are a very big issues um, in the United States, especially. Uh, and then I, I say, and I'm autistic. And now all of a sudden, right, I'm the, the tone towards me has changed a little. So how long have you been doing the therapy? Um, you know, how long since you've become a therapist? And where do you see yourself going from here? Yeah, I've had the private practice since about August. Um, like that's when I started actually seeing clients was late August. Um, and it's really like grown, um, pretty considerably as far as just having a full caseload goes. Um, I've also started doing coaching stuff because I want to be able to work with people. Um, you know, sometimes somebody who lives in Canada will contact me and say, Hey, I can't find anybody who I, I can work with, you know, and so even coaching people through stuff like executive dysfunction or autistic identity empowerment. Um, so I offer those services as well. Um, but also, you know, I would like to see my work in advocacy always be a thing. 
Um, that's why I like very uh, much appreciate podcasts like this that I view as being, I view you guys as doing something very important for the autistic community. Um, and really like, I'm sure improving the lives of many people by um, helping them to feel less alone, by sharing information. Um, so I'm, I'm like often trying to find even like public speaking, like jobs in my area um, or appearing on podcasts or stuff, um, you know, because I would, I would like to just be able to disseminate some information about autism that I feel like the mainstream society and mainstream mental health care has just silenced. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's so right. And what you're, what you're doing, Zoe, I think, as you say, being an autistic, being autistic yourself and actually being a therapist and speaking to autistic, um, you know, your clients, shall we say, is really, you know, beneficial because I know, and I'm, I know Christelle and I have had this conversation a lot, is that when you take your child, like, because obviously Christelle and I, we're not autistic, but we have autistic children. When we take our children to a doctor's and that doctor just does not get autistic children, it is the most yeah, it's just infuriating. Yeah, they just regurgitate everything they've read. Or they, look, they yeah. look on the website. You yeah, can see them very, actually Googling. Yeah. And it's very frustrating, but that's why I commend what you do, Zoe, because my son also works with um, a therapist who is autistic mm -hmm. and he had the same struggles that my son has. And mm -hmm. what the, the work he's done in the small time he's had with my son um, has been, has impacted my son positively mm -hmm. more than all the speech and language therapies he's had with you know like our NHS and stuff because yeah. he kind of gets where he's coming from mm -hmm. you know so it, yeah it's so fantastic the work that you're doing it's so important so really really do uh, congratulate you on all your success yeah. Thank you so much. I know I really appreciate that. I think for years there was this expectation that like the therapist should be, you should not know anything about your therapist, right? And that therapists also have to have the perfect mental health. Um, and that otherwise, like, you know, you, you are totally not helpful or whatever. And instead, I feel like the tides are changing with that where it can be really validating or helpful to know that your therapist has like a similar identity to you in some way. Um, and that like, that idea of like therapists have to be removed. We have to be like better than you. And we have to be like up on this pedestal. Um, that didn't actually help people that much. <laughs> no, that wasn't helpful. Yeah. Cause it makes you feel as well. Like, cause I know obviously last week, Christelle and I did the episode and, and I told everybody about my ADHD diagnosis Mm -hmm. And I know I told the head teacher of the school I work at before that. And then she was like, can you speak to the school about it? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Because I thought, are the children going to see me differently? Like, are they going to react negatively? And I'm thinking, if I knew that about my teacher at school, would that have helped? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but I'm glad I did it. I am glad I did it because I think you're right. And, and it's like that, isn't it? It's the professions and you think, oh, you know, like if your doctor turned around and said, oh, well, I'm ADHD or I have, you know, I'm autistic, then 
I don't know for us as parents of autistic children I'd be like all right okay so you might actually understand where my son's coming from here when we speak to him and and the same same with you and what you're doing Zoe where can we find you because we want to tell everyone about you we want everyone to go and follow you and we want everyone to you know get in touch and also do you coach kind Mm. of online virtually do you know what I mean like somebody in England good old sunny England wants to, <laughs> <laughs> wants to come along and um you know have a therapy session with you can they or is it all like you, they've got moved to Pennsylvania um yeah I thank you I uh can be found on social media at um Zoe Durazdi counseling my name is difficult to spell <laughs> um but I it'll probably be like in the information of the episode yeah we'll put um, that in the bio don't worry <laughs> Yeah, so I'm on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. Um, and then, you know, my website is just zoedurazdi.com. Um, You can kind of submit a talk with me form and I can contact you. Um, I do coaching internationally. Um, yeah, so that's, you know, and I work with a lot of people on things like, um, like executive functioning, autistic identity, um like working on emotional regulation and sensory stuff um so yeah that's something I do (laughs) oh thank you so much Zoe and I'm so glad that we finally got our time zones in sync kind of thing so that you could come along um but yeah thank you so much and definitely definitely go and follow Zoe we'll put all of her links up there in the bio thank you thanks Zoe Thank you.